Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and, and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey, and you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. All right, we are live. Kurt Mercadante, welcome to the Black Diamond Podcast. Eric, it is my pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i excited to, I guess, return the favor. You had me on your podcast a few years ago. Um, I had an excellent conversation with you. It was really, really memorable. And um, I guess I actually made it in your book too. So that was pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> and so it's good to get you on here and kind of reverse roles and, uh, and, and kind of see what you've been up to because you've been doing a lot. And uh, you have a great story. You have a great message. You offer a lot of value, you know, um, to people, especially that we're talking to in the entrepreneurial community with, um, I guess, just the way you inspire people and the knowledge you have as far as practical application of how to build a business on your own terms and, and find the right clients for, for you. So a lot of stuff we can talk about today, but let's start with this, man. Give us your, uh, give us your backstory. Yeah. So, um, you know, I had, like you said, I help my clients and mostly consultants and solopreneurs deliver the right message to the right clients to generate the right revenue. And, you know, my journey is for 25 years, I've been in the public relations and advertising and branding industry. Uh, a little over three years ago, I shut down my agency at peak revenue because I wasn't fulfilled. I had a lot of very large clients that paid me very well, but for a variety of reasons, um, the type of clients I let in, the type of pressure I put on myself, my definition of success being wrong. I wasn't a great father. I wasn't as, as, as epic of a dad, uh, epic as a husband as I should have been. And really, I didn't have that epic self-care and mentally and physically and, and spiritually that I needed. And so I woke up one day and I shut it down. And I started over, and right now, my what I do is I, I'm helping those consultants and those solopreneurs. I'm helping the people who make up the backbone of the economy, those small business owners, because I spent a long time working with the large corporations, and they got a lot of money, right? And they throw their money around, and in some cases, they don't care. They only care about the big numbers. Let's just get more likes and clicks. Let's just get more impressions because we got the money to throw at it. Well, small business owners fall into that trap too, and they look for the easy button. And so they, they hire a guru and they hire the ads person and they spend a ton of money on that and they waste a lot of money on it. And they think there's an easy button. And what I want my message to them is let's back up. Let's build that strong foundation. Like who specifically do you want to work with? Who specifically wants what you offer? You start from there and you reverse engineer it to put together an impact story. Just one sentence that clearly communicates the positive impact your clients get from working with you. And then you look at where those clients live online, geographically, physically, whatever it is, and you find the easiest, most efficient, shortest, simplest way to deliver consistently that impact message to those ideal clients on a daily basis. Oh, that's great, man. It's a great synopsis. So I have to ask, as you brought it up, what is your, your definition of success? Yeah. You know, my definition of success is a life of freedom. And my definition of freedom really is um, waking up and feeling detached from the anxieties of the physical world. And there's certainly a lot of anxieties that could go on, <laughs> you know, over the past year. But not waking up and having to worry about my bank account, not because I have so much money that I don't worry, but realizing that, you know, I had a dream last week and we, we were sitting, we went to Rainforest Cafe here where we're living in Texas and it's my son's seventh birthday. And we used to, when we lived back in Illinois, you know, eight plus years ago, we used to take the other kids to Rainforest Cafe and for their birthdays. 
And we're sitting there and I, I said to my wife, I said, oh, I cringe. I just remember one, my, it was my daughter's birthday and we were at Rainforest Cafe for a little party. And I spent most of the time out on a sidewalk on a business call. I said, gosh, what, you know, I'll never have that day back, but I can't, I can't be anxious about it now. It happened, but you know, I can think about it moving forward. Well, that night I had a dream that we're here at our home. We have like an eagle's nest deck that you can see the ocean from or the Gulf of Mexico. And in my dream, I went up on the deck and I was, I, I do workouts up there and something came out of the sky, like just rocketed out of the sky. I don't know what it was. And you could see it hit the water like miles out. And when it hit the water, there was a massive explosion. And all I saw was this huge wave of like fire and destruction coming my way. And my only thought was get down, gather the family and just hug them and, and say goodbye, you know? And I ran down and I did that. We all got, and, and the kids didn't even know what was going on. And I just, it just said, you know, just goodbye. Blah, blah. And then we realized my daughter was out for a walk all alone on the beach. And I was, and then my, I woke up and I had, my heart was beating through my chest. And to me, that wasn't like some warning because I've been, I've been pretty good, but it, I think it was, it, it stemmed from me having that memory of spending my daughter's birthday on the phone out on the sidewalk of it doesn't matter. I have trust in the universe when I wake up in the every day that, that things are going to work out. I have trust that I don't need to grind, that if I stick to the process that I know works, I don't have to stress about it. I don't have to be anxious about it. I don't have to sit there and post content online and like some people do, like obsess all day, every day about who's in the messages, who am I going to direct message? Are they going to come in? Blah, 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 blah. I have to have trust that I, I, I know my process, it works, I do it, and then I go enjoy life. And I play. And every minute I spend with my kids is more important than any client, any dollar in my bank account, any crap that I've worried about in the past or anxious about. And I think that dream was just a reminder to solidify that, listen, don't ever let that happen again. Because in the end, and especially what we've seen over this past year, you know, I've seen my kids deal with, especially my daughter more, deal with the, the mental challenges that, that adults go through when they lock you down. And, and, you know, the debate club and class that you were looking forward to isn't going to happen. You know, my, my son is nine years old and last year went through an entire acting class. He had looked forward to it for so long. He was so excited. And the day before he was to give his play that he had been working for for months, they canceled it. He was devastated. Mm. A year later, he still brings it up. And I went from being angry to realizing and remembering again, if you become so attached to things that are outside of your control and that other people do, whether they're stupid or not stupid, then you become a prisoner and you're not free from that anxiety. And so um, just wake up. There's certainly enough things to be upset and angry about in the world, but having that, that trust that things are going to flow uh, not sitting still, you know, we sold almost everything we own and we're traveling to flow where we feel most free and fulfilled. And that's not going to be the same for everyone else. There's people in my family who think we're stupid and crazy and endangering the world. And that's cool. I don't have to be anxious about that. I just got to flow and, and get my family in that state of flow. Uh, and when we do that, that's when we're most free. That's when we're most fulfilled. And, and that's really my definition of success. Oh, that's great, man. It's so good. And I ask people a lot and it's, you know, the, there's something that always, um, surprises me, but it shouldn't, because if I had asked my same myself 15 years ago, the same questions, I probably wouldn't have a good answer. So I, I get it, but you know, having a personal definition of success is really valuable and just having like, you know, some goals in your life that, you know, you want to achieve by the time your time is up, you know, very, very simple things. That a lot of people just never really put thought into or pencil to paper. I mean, I've always, my personal definition of success is living a life that doesn't necessitate vacation. And, you know, I think it gets, it's different words that get to the same goal as yours, right? It's like, Hey, I want to be in a flow. I want to be enjoying my life. I don't want to sprint, burn out, then find some, you know, uh, vacation that I'm supposed to take to make me feel better. Right. I want, I want to be living the vacation as I'm doing the work that, that I know, uh, I need to do to sustain it. And it's, it's hard, you know, I think, you know, we can talk about this as probably one of the biggest things is, you know, 
business owners, entrepreneurs, the, I agree, kind of the salt of the earth people who really keep our economy rolling. And uh, I work with them, you know, I'm thrilled with the type of clients that I get to work with who are solopreneurs or, you know, running small companies. Uh, But that, that process of when do you, when, how do you recognize when your business starts to trap you? Right. And how do you not let that happen? What, what, do you have any like red flags that start to pop up? You're like, oh, it's happening again, right? Um, I'm starting to get entranced. I'm starting to get trapped by the the very thing I created. What, what do you? How do you approach that challenge? Yeah, and 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 by the way, Eric, I hate to cause editing, but I just I just noticed that I can see your waveform when you talk, but I can't see my own. Oh, interesting. I can and see I'm, yours. I'm, you can see it go up and down? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. I couldn't see mine, and I'm like, oh, wait, you know what? If I'm not recording, I'd, I'd hate to have you do the whole thing. And, and I'm not. Yeah, okay, the funny cool. thing is as, I can't see mine. As long as you can mine. see mine. Oh, that's funny. Okay, cool. Well, that's interesting. So I can see yours, you can see mine, so I think we're cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. Sorry about that, but I just wanted to make sure. Um, uh, cool. Yeah, yeah so, so the question I have you- for you was how do you – how do you balance that, right? How do you create a business that, you know, helps you enjoy your your lifestyle, right? That really kind of puts lifestyle and freedom first, but then it's also kind of safeguard it from, because it's so easy. It's so easy to let your business start dictating everything again. And kind of this monster you can create where like before I sold my gym businesses, I was like, oh my God, I built something that has completely has me trapped, right? Um, what do you, what do you do to safeguard that in the future? Yeah, I think I think you have to be intentional and you have to be radically, you know, c- kind of um, an asshole with yourself, right? <laughs> like, be the gatekeeper of your time and and, and what you want to do. And and I often, for a lot of my clients and others, I uh, and I wrote about this in my book, where I call it the pizza pie exercise. And what I urge people to do is, if you have a pen, piece of paper, pencil, iPad, whatever it is, draw a circle in the middle of that piece of paper. And that's going to be a pizza pie. And the pizza is going to have three slices. But before you draw the three slices, there's going to be one slice for work and career, one for relationships, and one for self. However, the size of each slice has to accurately and truthfully represent the amount of time, mind share, anxiety, and worry you spend on each, you know, on a daily basis. So if you work 50 hours a week, but you're never fully present with your family and your friends on the weekends because you're thinking and stressing about work, then you got to include that in the slice of the pie. So people draw that and they draw them and they're like, oh, wow. Oh yeah. Okay, great. The work slice is really big and the slice, you know, it's going to be different. There's no right or wrong. Then I ask people, okay, once you draw that slice, redraw the pizza, redraw those three slices right on top of that initial pizza pie, except this time the slices have to be the way you wish they were when your life is in alignment, not balance. And a lot of people see, seek work-life balance, but I urge them to take that term work-life balance and flush it down the toilet and burn it, get rid of it, whatever it is. Because balance assumes, there, there's a couple of ways people look at balance, right? It's like a seesaw. Oh, wow, I, I, life is over here and it's up or down and then work is over here, right? There, there's not work and life, there's just life. And work is one facet. There's three facets. Work is one, relationships, and self-care. The other people look at balance is I, when I do this in a presentation, I have a slide of someone balancing on a tightrope in the Grand Canyon, like trying not to fall off and die. Oh gosh, I got to have the balance. I got to have the balance. And then it's like, you know, I, I don't see my family for three months, but then we take a week vacation and then everything's going to balance out. Well, it doesn't work that way. So what you're doing with this pizza pie is you're taking those three slices and you're looking at the size of each, comparing it to the way it is now, truthfully, you got to be truthful with yourself about it, compared to the way you want it to be. And when you have that, you have the one pizza drawn on top of the other, I urge people print that out, paste it to your fridge, your computer, whatever, and use that as a barometer as you go. Do you have a life that's in alignment? Because often what we do is we re- get really clear on work and career, because that's what we're raised to do since kindergarten. It's all about getting into the better school so you can get into the best college, so you can get that degree, so you can get that job to live in the house you're supposed to live in with the car and this and that and the other thing. Well, instead of defining work and career like really clearly and then shoehorning in your relationships and self-care, look at it in alignment. 
how do you want your life of alignment to look? So that when you're building your business and opportunities come your way and you're looking like, whoa, I could take this opportunity. Is that going to allow you to live the life of alignment that you want? And it helps enable you not only to say yes to the right things, but more importantly, to say no to the right things. You know, I, I was going in the direction of I wanted to build a, a small business in which I help people, but that didn't get as big as my agency that to overtook my life. And I was growing quickly in 2019 and doing live events and packing people in and getting to the point where I had a staff of eight and I was growing. And it, I came to the realization last January and February, actually it was January, where I was like, no, 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 I'm building the exact thing that I didn't want to build. And my, it's bringing my life out of alignment. Now I got to manage a team. I got to do all this stuff. And so at the beginning of February, I said, listen, and I'm still friends with everyone like this. This isn't the direction I want to go. And so I disbanded and I started over. Now, little did I know a month later, it would be locked down and live events wouldn't be allowed anyway. So it was a bit of good fortune in, in that regard. But I used that my alignment pizza pie to look and say, wait, 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 wait. I'm heading in the wrong direction here. That work slice, if I'm quote unquote successful revenue wise with this business, my alignment, my pizza pie is going to be taken over by work. And this isn't where I want to go. I want to be able to travel where I want to go. I want to be able to pick up at a moment's notice. I want to be able to, if I do a podcast, do it from the deck like I'm doing now, looking at the ocean barefoot. Um, and that's, that's my vision for, for how I want it. That's my definition of alignment. Everyone's going to be different. And there's no right or wrong. And some people will hear you and I talk, you know, you were nomadic for a while and where you're living in our lifestyles. And they might be like, they, I, I have some people when I tell them, they get very defensive. And I'm like, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm not saying you have to do that, but like, and I'm not saying you're bad if you don't, but define what it is you want. And, um, and that's very important. It's going to be very different. Some people find freedom living in the same place for their entire life. And that's wonderful. That's great. I just, I'm not made that way. And, and but if you are define if that's what you truly want, or if it's what you're programmed to think you want. If that makes sense. It makes total sense. And, <clears throat> you know, when you look at, um, essentially we're talking about looking at what you value, like really taking a hard look at what your individual and personal values are. And then, but the trick is doing that with a way that you're not actually <clears throat> judging yourself, right? Based upon the values that society has just entrenched in you. If that, if that makes sense, like, okay, if there's certain things that value, maybe you, you know, we're taught that we should value really hard work. We're taught that we should value, um, uh, family, religion, whatever it may be. We're taught all of these things since an early age, we need to value them. But if you actually take a hard look and maybe you don't value religion, but you got to be open to the fact that you don't, right. Um, and you got to, can't criticize yourself because you don't. So you got to be honest with those things too. Otherwise you're just kind of playing this game. That's just going to make you unhappy. And it's just this ongoing perpetual thing. And I, I applaud you because, you know, I see which I know you, I know a little bit of your story and how you you know had that, that agency and you kind of, you, you broke free from that. You, you sold off and moved on. And then you, you started on this new path with, you know, this goal of being, uh, you know, having more of a freedom lifestyle. And then you saw it happening again. Right. And you backed off again. And I think it's how it's really important to kind of have those critical points of like, whoa, am I, am I doing this again? Like I do it, I try to do it, you know, um, consciously, but probably even more on a daily basis of like, okay, what am I doing right now? Am I, am I, am I, I just spent seven hours in front of zoom today. Is this why I started this business? Is that why I want to do it? Like, is this really what, is this my best life? Um, and it's hard. You just get a trap sometimes. You get caught up in momentum and uh, it's, it's, it's a challenging thing to do. You know, I, I want to get into your expertise a little bit too. Um, you know, we had talked about finding the right message for the right clients. And I think in today's, especially when you get into, um, you know, kind of fixing into lifestyles, a lot of entrepreneurs and, and, solopreneurs and small business owners, they feel like, man, I, I need to, I need to have five social media posts a day. I need to write three blogs. I need to have 20 podcasts. I need to do all these things and I need to get it out there because, well, I'm not really sure why, 
but I just know I got to do it because that's the hustle, right? That's the grind, man. Um, what's your answer to that? And how do you help people get the messaging down to find out, to find the right clients? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I've been there, right? And I'm just going to, I'm going to shotgun approach it everywhere. And that's why it's so important to have a process and to know every step of your process so you can measure what works and what doesn't. Um, you know, Peter Drucker famously said, you can't manage what you don't measure. I think I paraphrased it a bit, but, but generally you can't, you can't manage what you don't measure. And I find a lot of people who don't actually measure, I mean, they think they measure things. Um, and it's like, well, I'm on Instagram because I got to be on Instagram. Well, like, what, how are you measuring that? I'm just putting it out there. I'm putting it out there. It, it, like, there's no real gauge of measurement other than got to be there. Got to be on Twitter. Got to be on Facebook. And so, um, you know, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram anymore. I'm on LinkedIn. Why? Because over the past three years, from a social media standpoint and content marketing standpoint, that's where 98% of my clients have come from. And you got to go with what works for you and where your customers are. And um, I'm not saying my customers aren't on other social media platforms, but I do know that I can find them on LinkedIn because they're not there to post about cats and grandkids. They're there to do business. And I also don't just rely on content. I mean, LinkedIn, and when you get into Sales Navigator, I teach my clients how to use Sales Navigator uh, so that, yeah, content is a big part of it, but my process also involves an outreach uh, standpoint. And I know people are like, outreach is dead. And, you know, outreach and LinkedIn messages are dead. Well, you think right. that because there's so many people who suck at it. And so it's not the medium, it's the message. And so, so many people are so bad at the message. And I had two clients recently in, in my accelerator who said, oh, it just feels so dirty to say this. I said, that's why I have a script that works. Follow my script when you leave a LinkedIn voice message. And they did it. And between two people, who the day before said no one likes this, they got five appointments with potential game-changing clients. And because the process I teach isn't pitching, it's selling. It's around that impact story message. And hey, Eric, thanks for connecting on LinkedIn. Uh, I always like to reach out beyond the profile with something a bit more personal than a plain old boring text message. So here I am. By way of introduction, I help consultants and solopreneurs deliver the right message to the right clients to generate more revenue. Then I leave my phone number and say, if you'd like to connect beyond the profile, blah, blah, blah. if we don't connect this week, have a great week. There's no pitchiness or sales. I just, I say what I do. It's like a networking event. And people, people will fall over themselves to go to a networking event. There's no difference. And it's not that the networking event is bad. It's that some people just don't know how to network. It's the same with the tools and the tech and, and, and you know, autom and, uh, not automations, but uh, social media platforms. So you go where your, where your clients are. And I posted the other day, you know, Simon Sinek and, and Sinek's great. And, and I agree with, with some of what he says, but he says, you know, people don't buy because of your what they buy because of your why. And I get what he's trying to say with that, but I, I disagree with it. And I, and, and part of what I disagree is because a lot of business owners will take that out of context. And you see this where they think, their, their entire message is all about them and their journey. And I want to save the world. Therefore, you should buy my product or service. Mm -hmm. Well, the client may respect you for it. They may love that. But if a client's going to pay you money, they don't care about your why. They want to know that you care about their why. <laughs> and so, you know, Elon Musk wants to save the world. That's not why Tesla is such a valuable brand right now and selling a lot of cars. They sell a lot of cars because there's a lot of people who buy Teslas who don't give a rat's ass about being green or sustainability. They want a cool self-driving car that goes zero to 60 in 1.7 and the new Cybertruck <laughs> has bulletproof glass. You know, I recently heard Elon on Joe Rogan. It was yeah, like 10% talking about the environment. And, in, and even then he was getting into the science of lithium ion batteries, right? Most of it was talking about the hubris with which he designed the car. Why? Because he knows that's what people want. You know, yeah. if, he, if he was like, hey, we have a green car and we're going to save the world and it's sustainable, no one would buy the damn thing. But he souped yeah. the thing up to make it an awesome car. That's why people buy it. And so you got to know what your customers want. 
and it's different than what they need. Know what they want and speak to that consistently. And that's how you'll sell more. Oh, that's so good, man. And I, I love that interview for people is, I believe we referred to it as a, it's just a grand exercise in hubris. Yeah. Um, yeah. With right. some of the cars you had, it was so funny. You know, it's, I want to talk about LinkedIn for a second because I still think it is amazing. And, and I want to get hit up by, I don't know, at least three automated spam messages a day on LinkedIn. And it's too bad that it's gone that route, but I can tell you right now, I mean, I had a, um, you know, the other day, one message, one response, which went to one meeting, right. With, a someone who, um, you know, could be with the, the startup I'm working with in Morpheus could be a very great, hugely potential partnership. And I reached out and I said, Hey, first of all, this is not spam. My name is Eric. I looked at your profile. Um, I, you know, she's from a certain area that I knew really well. I knew of her high school, all these things. Right. I'm like, hey, that being said, I really have something that I think you want to, you'd want to have on your radar and we should talk about it because it could be really beneficial to everybody. And, and she responded within 24 hours, sent me your email and said, that'd be great. And then, you know, when you're in the area, please let me know. Maybe we can do coffee if, you know, coffee's allowed here. And, uh, it wasn't hard. You know, yeah. I just took, I took an authentic approach and I think that's what's missing so many times with these things is yeah, there is LinkedIn is an amazing tool. People are there to do business as professional. And, uh, but you know, like all good things, uh, as Gary V would say is marketers will ruin it all. Um, yeah, right. but there is a lot of good, there's, it's a great tool. It's very powerful and people are there to connect. And, uh, I think it's really, and it's interesting. You talked about with Simon Sinek and why, you know, his starts with why thing, because I've seen so many, especially younger entrepreneurs, like just pain and agonize over what's my, why, what is my, why I like, what, I can't go out there and talk until I know my, why I'm like, no, you don't, you don't have to know your, why your, why could be, you know what? You want to make a ton of money. So your wife doesn't have to work anymore. That could be your, why it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Yeah. And, and the, you know, a why is important to fuel you. But that's not why people sure. are going to buy from you. Yes. Right. You know, and it's like, um, and then what if you have, what if you end up having a number of products? Every product's got to be about your why? Of course not. You know, like, right. you know, my why and my vision is helping individuals fight for lives of freedom and fulfillment. And the individuals are me, my family, and my clients. Now, one of the ways I do that is helping them deliver the right message to the right clients so they can generate more revenue. Because especially right now, when small business owners generate the right revenue with their ideal clients, they have a sense of freedom and they build a freedom business. But if I just said, if someone's like, why should I hire you? Because my, my why is to help individuals fight for lives of freedom and fulfillment. Their next question is, oh, well, what does that do for me? You know, like I, I, I'm not getting clients. You know, if, now, if I lead with right clients, right revenue, right message, right clients, right revenue, and they're like, well, why do you do that? Then I can tell them. But in the end, I, I, I'm not going to verbally vomit. You know, you see people with their content and posting about your journey is important. That's great. It's wonderful to express yourself. But like, if that's all you do, because you know that when you post about your journey and your struggles, you're going to get a ton of likes and views. But in the end, if I don't know, like if I had $10,000 to give you, how is my life better for it? And all I see is your struggle and your journey. It doesn't speak to me. You're not connecting the dots, you know, but if you're like, Hey, I had this struggle, I beat it. And now I can help you do the same that now we're talking, but a lot of folks get, get scared of adding that fine point on it. And they think that, uh, you know, you see this a lot now. I, I saw someone on, on LinkedIn recently you know, who gets a lot of likes and views, who did a whole video because he took offense to someone, someone told him that he was uh, uh, like in sales and sales is a dirty word. And people think sales is a dirty word. And it's like sales is about helping people. Mm -hmm. If you think sales is a dirty word, it's because you're doing it the wrong way. When, when this thing started COVID, there was a guy who, who posted, for God's sakes, for the next 90 days, we're in a pandemic. Can you just stop selling and start being human? And I know him. Right. I, know, I know who he is. And I told him, I said, well, you know, for God's sakes, if you look at selling as anything other than being human, then by all means, stop it. Because you're doing yourself a disservice and your potential clients. 
But Mark Hunter, who wrote a book, uh, Mind for Sales, great sales trainer, he, I had him on my show, my last podcast, and he said, here, and I brought this up to him, and he said, here's the deal. Sales is about helping people. Someone has a want, someone has a pain point, someone has a challenge, and they need your help. The best way you can help them is by letting them know about it and having a conversation and seeing if you can help them. If you can help someone, then don't you have a responsibility to reach out? And that's what sales is. But again, people look at the medium. You know, the phone is bad. The phone isn't bad. I've made a ton of money on the phone. It's how you use it. LinkedIn messengers, you know, we all get crappy messages on LinkedIn. That's why when you leave a good message, it cuts through. And so people are easy to throw up their hands and declare defeat. It works. It doesn't work. Because they've skipped to the end, right? They didn't build the foundation. They're, they're, they think that branding and sales is about attention. Just get more eyeballs. Get more attention. Throw it out there. And I teach that there's four pillars of building an authority brand. And I list attention first because if I didn't, people would think I was, there was something wrong with me, right? Because it's attention. It's eyeballs. But we list it first, but we actually work on it last because the first thing we work on is accuracy. Like radically, aggressively, very clearly, who is your ideal client? Like I have five pages of questions I give my clients to really get down deep on who your ideal client is. What's their behavior style? What's their gender? Are they, are they faith-based? Are they not? Are they liberal? Are they conservative? People are like, why does that matter? And I, my answer is, I don't know. Find the data, look at your ideal clients and connect the dots on what data is common, right? This is all important now because we have the data. We have the ability to go out on Sales Navigator on LinkedIn, using search tools on whatever social media network and find all this stuff. That's accuracy. Then the next one is alignment. That's where you align, okay, your why and what you do with more importantly, what does your client want and that impact they get. And so that alignment is where you put together that one sentence impact story and then the final pillar is authenticity. And this is where we bring attention into this because you show up every day factually, truthfully, with true authenticity, not kind of the fake authenticity that, that people put on social media. And you show up every day and you communicate that impact story to those ideal clients, factually, truthfully, parents with third-party credibility. When you show up consistently like that, you build the no like, and trust factor and that you, you focus on getting the attention of the right people with the right message. And you, when you do those four pillars and you put them in there, you know, some people ask me like, oh, but that process, does it take you four or five hours a day? I do most of it before 8.30 in the morning. Um, I do some of my process while I'm having my coffee and eating breakfast. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I do some outreach and it probably takes me 25 minutes in the morning and then I'll do a client call. Maybe I'll do a podcast like this. And this afternoon, I'm heading to the beach. I'm going for a bike ride. Um, you know, as people come in and they, and, they, and they schedule it, I have guardrails on my calendar and, and my scheduling link. So you can only schedule for certain times because I know when I don't want to work because I, again, bringing it back full circle, no pun intended, to the pizza pie that we drew, my calendar link, uh, how many clients I work with, the type of clients I want to work with. I bounce that off my pizza pie. You know, I look at my pizza pie and I look at, I want the afternoons free because that's when my energy is up to play with my kids and go out with my wife. And it all goes back to that pizza pie and everything from my calendar to, you know, uh, my calendar, et cetera. I build those guardrails around that to protect my, my alignment pie. <laughs> um, and it stems from that. And, and I build a process that takes me an hour a day, every day, but I stick to it and I know it works so that the rest of the day, I don't have to. Uh, be anxious and worrying about who's messaging me. Oh my gosh, your call's coming in. Like, I don't care. I, I know my process works. It may not work three days in a row, but I know over a quarter it works and, and brings me the revenue that I need and want. Uh, that's great, man. I mean, it's, um, you know, I've, I've talked about this a lot and, you know, the difference between efficiency and efficacy. And you can, I can just tell you what it means to me and why it's important. But when I was back in the corporate world, I used to um, perform well as a, a sales guy. And I, I did various forms of sales. But, you know, after kind of the first three to five years of hard knocks, I I really um, started to excel. And, and one of the things that would drive my sales, uh, the people, whoever I reported to, the VP or whoever at each given position was that my numbers were great. I did well, um, but I didn't work a whole lot. 
And uh, to them, that's like, well, imagine if we got him to work more <laughs> and, uh, and put more hours in. And I would always kind of explain. And then when I started running teams myself, I would explain the principles of like, hey, you know, efficiency is how many calls can I make in an hour, right? Efficacy is, well, if, how many calls are actually worthwhile? And how can I make five calls, but be far more effective than if I made a hundred calls? And that was always the thing. And maybe it just takes a little bit of time and research. Like what I was talking about earlier with like this LinkedIn scenario is like, I actually took the time. I went through her profile, right? I looked at things that, Hey, maybe there's some commonalities here. There's some interesting things that she's done. And I took the time to do that. And I've been doing that for a very long time and it's very effective, right? Um, is it efficient? I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Because, you know, maybe I'm not making, maybe I'm sending out two messages a day, but it is, a, it is, will be effective in the long run. I think it's similar to what you're saying. It's just different words of like, yeah, if I can, if I know what works and I commit to being consistent with it and maybe doing little tweaks over time, I know it'll get to where I want to go and then I can go off and enjoy the rest of my life. I think it's really cool. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. And, and Drucker, I think it's Drucker, Peter Drucker. I, I go back to him a lot. He's got a quote that goes something like, "There's nothing, nothing quite as bad as doing something efficiently, doing that efficiently, which should not be being done at all." <laughs> you know, it's like I'm very <laughs> yeah. efficient. I'm very efficient doing the wrong thing, and a lot, and, yes. and that's you got to make sure you're doing the right thing. But I'm with you. I, you know, is sales a numbers game? Yes but the devil's in the details on this one. Because yeah, you could just call, you could spend eight hours a day calling 400 people and you're probably gonna get something, some sales. I would jump in the Gulf of Mexico and drown myself if I had to do that every day, right? I would rather call the right people and stick to the process. So my view is it is a numbers game, but where the numbers come into play is doing the right things every day consistently. And, you know, the process I teach, some part of it, you know, it's not sexy, it's not mundane, but it's, it's based on timeless principles. And it's like, it's not working, Kurt. How long have you done it? Three days. Do it for 30 and then come back and then we'll think through if it's not working or not. Because when you're consistent about doing a process and you do it for 30 days, then you have a data set to look and say, did this work? Yes or no? Why didn't it work? And what could make it better? So if it's, you know, the process I do has to do with viewing certain profiles, having them come in, reaching out to them, blah, blah, blah. We have scripts. If, if it doesn't work for three days, I know it's worked in the past. And so I let it ride for a month. And, you know, I have a sales mentor and he says, some days and some weeks you're the foot and some of you are the ball. You just got to keep going with it and determine, is it working? And so it might be that I'm calling into the wrong industry. Okay, that might be it. It might be I got to tweak my script a little bit. But you can't do that. And, you know, we have, you know, these days we have, you know, uh, attention spans less than that of a, of a goldfish. And so we do something for two days. We say, it doesn't work. I didn't get immediate gratification. I'm going off. You know, I, I, my back was out two weeks ago. I have a herniated disc and I could barely walk. And I went to the chiropractor. After the first visit, did I feel relief? Not really, but I kept going for three days. And next thing you know, I was doing going for five mile hikes again. I trusted the process. So it's a numbers game in that you gotta be consistent, but it's not a numbers game in that you just do the wrong stuff over and over and grind yourself into the ground. And to your point, yeah, the, the, the efficiency versus efficacy, um, I really like a combination of both. <laughs> you know, I like being really efficient at doing the right things. Uh, yes. and, and by the way, I'd rather be inefficient at doing the right things than being efficient at doing the wrong things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> man. I think it all gets to the same point. Right. And I think, yeah. you know, one of the, as a, um, you know, having been in business for myself for a long time and working with a lot of people, uh, in the similar boat, I think one of the one of the constant struggles that never seems to go away is balancing urgency and patience, right? When, when to have a sense of urgency to get things done, but when also to have patience to let things ride and see them, let them marinate, right? Mm. And do, this is what I'm talking about. Same thing you are is like, yeah, okay. We, you know, maybe create, you're urgent to create the system 
and then patient to let it play out for a little while and then having another sense of urgency, like, okay, this is when I reflect and tweak and then reapply. Right. And that's, that's the processes that I think a lot of people tend to miss because maybe they're just stuck in this either one, like this very urgent mode or this very patient mode where you kind of have to be constantly walking the line and, and have a gut instinct for when, when to go with each, each, uh, each way. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of what I like to call the hustle and grind pornographers out there mm. who have you believe it's all about drink your 16 cups of coffee and it's adrenaline. And so yeah. you, they, they, you have to be urgent every step of the, and, and here's what happens, you know, there's your, your conscious and your subconscious. When you are, your conscious allows you to think creatively. Your subconscious just goes on muscle memory, you know, mental muscle memory or physical muscle memory. When you become tense, what happens is your cortisol starts rising. When that happens, you're literally dumber <laughs> because you shut off your conscious and you revert to your subconscious and you revert to the fight, flight, or freeze. That's why I boxed for several years. And when you're watching a boxing match, you watch it and you're like, I saw that punch coming. Why didn't that idiot bob or weave or step left or step right? Because you have, you have the luxury of sitting there and using your conscious mind to watch this fight. But when you're, when you're boxing and that, the bell goes off, your cortisol goes right up through your brain, <laughs> right? And that's why you have to rely on your subconscious. Unless you're a freak of nature like, like, uh, like Muhammad Ali in his early days when he's, he just didn't seem to have, it, it was all conscious to him and creativity, right? Well, it's the same with us. And so if we're constantly have this sense of urgency and, and we're tense and, and stressed and everything because we got to go, 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 we don't allow our creativity, the creative part of our mind to really engage. And it's constantly fight, flight, or freeze. And I got to close. I got to close today. I got to close now. I got to close. I got to close. And you just wear down. You know, and, and, and so for me, it's, I read the Tao Te Ching every morning hmm. and it's 2,500 years old, you know, written by lots of, and it, which, who may have been like a group of people, by the way. But, um, and, and one of the things he talks about, which, you know, Bruce Lee kind of brought into pop culture was the importance of flowing like water. And even in a fast moving stream or river, the water is flowing. Is it urgent? I don't know. It's flowing fast, but it's not grinding. And when there's a boulder in the middle of the stream, what the hustle and grind pornographers would have us do is if we're the water and the boulder, there's a boulder, which is a challenge in our life or our business falls in the middle of the stream. What the hustle and grind pornographers would have us do is you go up to that boulder, you grab it and you start beating your head against it and you punch it until you're bloody and then do it some more, right? And it's like, well, I would rather be like water and just flow to the left or the right. And some people hear that and they're like, well, that's, that's easy to say. That's just being lazy. Okay, then I'd rather be lazy because while you're stuck behind the boulder and bloody, I'm still going to be flowing pretty quickly toward my goal. And so is it urgency? I don't know, but it's certainly less tense. I'm doing it in a more creative way. Uh, I'm not constantly in fight, flight, or freeze mode. Um, I'm moving in the direction constantly and consistently of where I want to go. And, um, and, and that's, that's really, that's one of the reasons I read the Tao every morning is, is to remind myself of, you know, there's nothing wrong with being intentional about what you do, but I, I, you know, if I had to rely on, you know, motivation and discipline are why gyms are full on January 1st and empty on January 31st. Mm-hmm. People who follow motivation set New Year's resolutions that they never keep. People who follow process are still in the gym in October. And do I set goals? Yes. And then I forget about them. And I focus daily on the process I need to do. Why? Because if I measure my daily wins by did I stick to the process, then I know I can win every day. And I know over time, the results will happen. But if I, if I gauge my winner losses on closing deals, even the best salespeople don't close deals every day, depending on what industry you're in. And I don't want to live that way. 
And I may go a week without closing a deal, but I know if I stick to my process, it's all going to come out in the wash over a month and certainly over a quarter. And so um, once I start getting stressed and urgent, I start feeling desperate. My content starts feeling desperate. Uh, my calls start feeling desperate. I start getting anxious. And then what happens? I go into fight, flight, or freeze. My creativity wanes, and I'm literally dumber. I'm a dumber business person. I'm, I'm a dumber husband. I'm a dumber father. And so I focus every day on trying to become, be detached uh, from the results of what happens. Listen, I set my big, hairy, audacious goal, and then I forget about it. I set my calendar. I time block for two weeks from now, and then I forget about it. And every day, I just focus on my process. And when I do that, I'm less stressed. I trust the process. And I mindlessly get up in the morning, do my process, and then I go have fun. And I know that over time, it'll work. And if it's not working over a 30-day period, I, I've tracked every step of my process consistently. I have the data sets, and I know exactly where I need to fix. I tweak it, and then I do the process for the next 30 days and see if it's working. Um, when you do that, that's where that numbers game comes into, into play. But also, that's where it comes in in terms of, of not constantly being stressed and, and you know, a, a cortisol factory, uh, like some people are and like some people would have you think. Uh, you know, that's the way, you know, one last thing there was Tim Ferriss. There's a great pot. Uh, if you ever listen to Tim Ferriss podcast, I love Tim Ferriss, but one of the best episodes I ever listened to was last year. He interviewed, um, Hugh Jackman mm -hmm. and I'm a Hugh Jackman fan. And it's like one of those things where you listen to it and it's like, gosh, he, he's everything you would hope a celebrity would, you know, like a person you're a fan of is like, just humble talking about meditation, talking about his process, talking about all these things. But one thing he talked about, he referenced uh, some sort of study. It was like the 80% rule that, um, was, and, I, and I've been looking for it and I can't find it, but some, he referenced it. I got to go back and see if he referenced the author who looked at sprinters. If you tell a sprinter to go out and run 100% versus telling that sprinter, just give it 80%. If you tell that sprinter to go out and give it 80%, they actually, they did a study. They timed the sprinters. They were faster than when you said, go and give it 100%. Why? Because if you say, go out there and get it 100%, what happens? Their cortisol rises, they tense up, and they're slower. Yeah. When they said, give it 80%, they're looser. And, and, you know, you slow it down. And that's the best sprinters are loose. When they slow it down, their faces look like rubber. You know, there's like, it, it, they're, they're flopping like that. And, and Jackman brought that up, that he tries to go in, you know, for a performance and doing all these things. 80%. There's no stress. I'm just going to give it 80%. And he says when he does that, he's better. And I think it's the same way that tense and that urgency, just kind of step back. And, and one of the things in the Tao Te Ching, they say, when you have a, when you have an issue or a challenge, when, when there's an enemy in front of you, yield, don't keep pushing yield. Cause when you yield, you step, you're not giving up, you step back and you can see the playing field a little bit better. And you can, you can then see your enemy, what are they about to do to me? <laughs> you know, are they about to throw, you know, uh, is, is a right cross coming? You, you can't see it if you're right up on them. Take, a two, take two steps back, look at them, and then regroup, and then come at it. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, hey, uh, Kurt, give us, uh, give us the details, man. Where, where do people find you nowadays? Yeah, well, I, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you something free. How's that sound? So if anyone Love takes free. out their smartphone right now and texts the word authority, all caps, one word, Y, it's like authority, except it's authority, Y-O-U-T-H-O-R-I-T-Y. You text that keyword to the number 55678 on your smartphone. You text that. What's going to happen is you will magically get a link sent back to you with free goodies. You click on that link. There's three free webinars. Four pillars of the authority brand, leveling up your LinkedIn and how to use podcasts to build your authority brand. You can subscribe to my podcast, um, but you text that link. Another way that's real easy, I'm on LinkedIn, but I also have a new blog and you know my name, Kurt Mercadante is so long. So giving that out makes sense. This is the easiest thing in the world. Kurtzblog.com. Kurt with a C, <laughs> Kurtzblog.com. I got it. It was like a buck 99. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You go yeah, there, I blog daily huge. and you get a hold of me. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Kurt, it's always a pleasure catching up with you, man. And, and, uh, you know, um, I'm so happy to hear that you you're 
testing out the nomad lifestyle and you're enjoying it. I know we certainly did during our time before we kind of plunked down here in Montana. I think we're going to do a lot more of it too in the future. So um, it's always, it's always a pleasure. I think you and I agree on so many things and uh, man, just keep up the great work. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. And and when we come up your way, I'll, uh, I'll send you a ping before we're there. We'll see if you're in town. Yeah, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Kurt Mercadone. Thank you. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever it may be. I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did. So please go ahead and share it. And that's how we get the word out. So it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, Make an introduction. Whatever it may be, you can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level5mentors.com. Lastly, if you just want to chat, you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show, and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond Podcast, and you can expect a lot more from us.